0: Listening to the Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Hello, listeners. I am Zoe, a professional game developer, and I'm here with my co host, Mac, a PhD candidate at Purdue University.
1: I waved, but you can't see it because this is an audio medium.
0: Alas. We could adapt into the video, but not not quite yet. But anyway, we are medievalists who teach you how to adapt medieval stories into TTRPG material. And today we have a guest that I'm very excited to have on the show. But before we get into that, just want to remind you all that we do have a Discord and a Patreon. So if you do want to support the show, you can check out our Patreon, get exclusive content, including new TTRPG materials and bonus episodes. And our Discord is chock full of super cool people. So do come and hang out with us. We would absolutely love that.
1: Moderately full. There's definitely still room. That's the important. There's totally
0: room. It's a digital medium. There's room. There's infinite room. Continuously growing room. Ever expanding like the universe
1: room. But in the good way. In the, in the good the universe way expanding. Way, not the capitalism way.
0: <laughs> Oh, Lord, don't go there. (laughs) Not this early. But anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, we also have our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter. There are a multitude of ways, ever-expanding ways, one might say, to get in touch with us. I'm kidding. It's not ever-expanding. Please don't ask us to have another social media. We've got Mastodon and
1: Tumblr also. We
0: do. We do. Well, Tumblr Tumblr hasn't died. You're not Tumblr. Twitter hasn't died yet. Anyway, point is, there are ways to get in touch with us. We would love to get in touch with you. So feel free. But anyway, we have a fantastic guest with us today. Crispy of Crispy's Tavern
2: hi thank you so much for having me on the show i appreciate it thank
0: you so much for coming on. hi guys i'm crispy
2: by the way that's me that's what she was was talking about yes this is this Uh, is crispy
0: he's fantastic if you don't know he has a wonderful youtube channel that goes through rpg horror stories tavern tips and tricks on how to improve your ttrpg campaign along with an actual play or several actual plays at this point is that right
2: I'm going to have two soon. I was also in another one, but that's not on my channel. I was in a few, but yeah, right now there's one on the channel. There will be a second one as of publishing this. So uh, that's really exciting.
0: Yes. So uh, with that, thank you so much for coming on. We are so excited to have you.
2: Of course. Thanks for inviting me.
0: And... Before we jump into what hopefully the bulk of today is going to be, which is like asking you about these tips and tricks with our audience and maybe how they can use that with some weird medieval ideas or we throw weird medieval ideas at you and you tell us all of the horrible problems with that and and the pitfalls that can occur.
2: (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. You guys are a little bit ahead of the curve on me with medieval stuff. Like, guys, I got the email for the podcast, and I saw in my inbox. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll come on a podcast. But then they described themselves as, like, medievalists and talking about, like, medieval, adapting medieval stuff into D&D. And then I listened to the show, and I was like, whoa, I'm, this is a little bit, this is a little ahead of my curve, <laughs> but they, they assured me everything would be fine. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: No, we're, n- we're nerds. And the, the, the other part of it is that, We dig the nerdy stuff, but there's plenty of things that you are so used to seeing in these horror stories that we haven't even thought of. Because when we're sitting here looking at this weird medieval, you know, stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, of course this is how the players are going to interpret it. And we haven't realized that, no, this is not how your average player is going to interpret, like a medieval interpretation of a giraffe. They're going to look at that and think it's something completely different and like yeah. run in a variety of different ways with that. So you're here to help us like find the pitfalls and critique our work. You get the fun stuff. Am I parsing that correctly okay. or
1: did you just characterize D&D as not the nerdy stuff?
0: We're in a different branch of nerds. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, medieval history is way above
2: my pay grade. <laughs> like no. A little bit over my head. Don't
0: you remember, Mac, that um, one of our professors made a Jason and the Argonauts TTRPG?
1: I actually did not remember that.
0: That was Professor Armstrong.
1: That's on brand.
0: It's totally on brand for her. But anyway, a little bit about Crispy beforehand, because I'm very interested in how you even got into this in the first place. So who are you and why start a YouTube channel in the first place?
1: Yes, Crispy, if that is your real name. (laughs) Explain who you are and what you're doing here.
2: At first, it is. And also, uh, um, well, I started my YouTube channel because, not because of Dungeon Dragons, I was literally uh, sitting with a few of my friends, and I was talking about like how much I love TMG studios. and if you don't know what that is, they're, uh, they're a comedy duo. It's, it's Cody Co, Noel Miller and some of their uh, friends. Great comedy podcast. Toats totally recommend. I'm plugging a podcast with like a few million followers, but you know <laughs> Have my insignificant internet traffic, but the good news is like I was talking to them and one of them was like, Crispy, why don't you do a podcast? You talk all the time, like a lot about so many random things and information. And I was like, you know what? What the hell? I have like nothing else going on right now. Like I'm, I'm a journalism, mass communication major. I like don't really have much going on. Why not? So I started like before Crispy's Tavern. I started the Crispy Cast, which was this shitty podcast that I made for like I think 20 episodes. And eventually, you know, I was just I was just doing like whatever. I was making fun of Caitlin Bennett Onision, just making jokes. And eventually, I made fun of this Twitter user. Uh, what was the what was the use? They they called themselves like Gray, uh, and I co- titled it like the Critical Role fan who tried to cancel Critical Role, oh, and it got no. decent traction. It got, like, 20,000 views, and I was like, okay, that's not a lot, like, by today's standards for me, but, like, you know, three years ago, I was getting 20 views. So, to get 20,000, I was like, oh, hell, I could talk about D&D for, like, a living. And I love Dungeons & Dragons. I never even considered that would be a possibility. So... A couple months went by of me just thinking it over. Eventually, I just, I don't know what spurred it. I was literally just sitting down. I was listening to Longest John C. Shanties. I remember the exact (laughs) one I was listening to. It was Holloway Joe. And I randomly just made a banner. I made a profile pic and I was like, I'm Crispy's Tavern now. Let's do it. And then two days later, I made my first video. And then a few days after that, I made my first RPG horror story, which was the rat, the overpowered rats one. And from there, I just kept on going. I figured out a weekly schedule, started collaborating. And after like after a year, I got 10,000 after a little bit after that. Now we're here. I'm at 40,000 some subscribers and doing pretty good. The reason I started the channel was just because like, why not?
0: Yeah, why not? And hey, you found your niche. That's that's where to where to go. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it was partially because like at the
2: time I was recording the Crispy cast and time Crispy's Tavern was starting, I was still on my first long-term homebrew campaign, which was like a reboot of a campaign that went to shit because of like a guy. And so, I mean, there was like a personal spur. I think I told the story in like a 10,000 subscriber video, but I'd like told, talked about it. And I was like, yeah. That sucked, and I think that a big reason why it sucked was because, like, I just didn't have the resources to deal with something that you, pr- you probably shouldn't have to deal with in a game, but some ass hat who's ruining your experience, you're not usually equipped to deal with it. Like, so many times when you're just reading a Reddit post, you're like, oh, well, why didn't you do this, 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 or this? Right. Well, most people don't think of this, 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 or this. They th- are not equipped with the social capabilities of handling that, especially since you're just there to play a game. Yeah, you, you, know, you're you not, don't expect you're
0: not to have to ridden. navigate an entire social situation and you know, parse whether no. it's the role play scenario or whether it's interpersonal on a meta level. There's so many layers to that, and you don't expect to go into that during a and d game.
2: Also, most D&D players, I'm going to reckon, spend more time not talking to people than talking to people. So I feel like they could use the practice. Very
0: true. Very, very true.
1: Fits with my experience.
0: (laughs) So as you started Crispy's Tavern, you've read through, I don't know, hundreds, thousands, maybe of-
2: Hundreds. Hundreds
0: of horror stories, like so many. Yeah. And you've, I mean, obviously had your own experiences doing TTRPGs, living out your own horror stories, not being the horror story, but, you know, dealing with that.
2: I don't know. I'm I'm sure I was the horror story at some point. I've been playing this game since like two thousand I don't know, not long, but like two thousand sixteen was when I got into playing and I started DMing like five years ago, so whenever that is, 2018, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm sure at some point I did something. Like
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. You have to go through that as a as a DM. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about running a game, for instance? Just to share with our audience who perhaps they want to start their own game. They've never been a GM before. Maybe they've done a whole bunch of research for their campaign setting, whatever they want to do, but they don't have that extra experience of, hey, I've been in a group before, or hey, I've run a game before.
2: I caught shit for this, but I I would say don't overwhelm yourself. Like, don't overwork yourself. Like, focus on the things that you need first. Like, I've got... You can't see it, but I've got a whiteboard right there. And one of the things on that whiteboard is the needs and the wants. The needs are the things that I like, not just in D&D, but just things in life that I need. Like, you need to get food. You need to (laughs) get, like, laundry detergent. Those are the needs. Like, you need those things to make your life comfortable. Then there are the wants. Like this Lego Star Wars Marauder set is not a need <laughs> that goes in the wants but so many times in Dungeons and Dragons context people put the needs and the wants together and it results in them way overworking themselves and while you're not dealing with money in terms of the budget you are budgeting time like you don't have infinite time to prep your games like what you got like a week maybe maybe a couple but most of the time you're not prepping like most of the time you're just living your life D&D's like a is a hobby right so you need to be you need to be smart with how you, you spend your time and what you do with it. Like, so often I'll find DMs who are like, oh, I want to make a whole homebrew world first. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. You can make a homebrew world, but don't create a pantheon of gods unless you need to. Don't start with ancient history unless it's required. Like, start with the starting town first. Flesh out the starting town, the NPCs that are going to be there. Because that's what your player is going to be interacting with. Like, I when I started out my first homebrew world, and I'm still playing in today, it's A E R I S that has been my homebrew world for the past, I don't know, however many years. And why I started it out, like, I wanted to create a pantheon of gods and ancient history, but frankly, like, that stuff isn't required. And also, frankly, I've had more fun, like, just letting that develop as we go along. Like, I've developed tons of new aspects of the world's history as I just keep on playing. If I had all of it written down already, like, sure, it would be, it would be useful, But is it required? No, it's not a need. What is a need are the NPCs the characters are interacting with, the monsters that they're fighting against, the mechanics behind the fights, the maps that they're fighting on, the notes of the literal dialogue that I'm going to be reading off when we're playing. Like, those are needs. That's what I want. If I'm going to spend my time prepping, it's not going to be prepping things that they're probably not going to care about, especially at the beginning. So... When people look at something like, you know, Dimension 20 or Critical Role, a lot of those shows have fleshed out histories, but they don't understand that a lot of the time those DMs work for a long, long time to do those, and usually the literal mechanics of what the players interact with come first. So before you overwhelm yourself with a ton, start with a little, and then let it branch out from there. You can write down some big picture ideas, but let them just be ideas. You don't need to get detailed with every aspect of your world before you even start, because you're just going to overwork yourself.
0: Oh yeah, Absolutely. And to sort of link that to medieval history and all of that good stuff, that's how, especially if you're, for instance, a DM who wants to get into that and wants to be accurate, then that's how you do it is you start with the little things because all of those great big myths and stories and oral traditions like Beowulf or Homer and Troy, all of that good stuff that came from people telling little stories around a campfire. And that's a really, I love that approach, because I think that's one of the best, most organic ways to do it that also echoes natural history and how we do it. And it's something that Tolkien called like secondary creation, because obviously, for his Catholic self, like the primary creation was the world that God made and us and so on and so forth. But for him, that secondary creation comes out of that storytelling. So I, I love that starting with the needs and not the
1: wants. I'm not sure Tolkien's the poster boy for don't put too much time into world building.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, here's... Actually, I think Tolkien proves my point because Tolkien worked... I mean, look, I don't have his whole history memorized, but to my knowledge, Tolkien wrote The World of Lord of the Rings and The World of Middle-Earth over a long... period of time it took him forever and as he wrote those books he slowly developed it like i don't think he had every aspect oh, like i don't have i don't i don't know maybe i'm no wrong. you're he you're did. totally
0: right as someone who did classes on this
2: <laughs> yeah i don't think he had any like every single you know minor aspect of middle earth fleshed out before he finished lord of the rings and i can say this for a fact george r, r. martin who wrote a song of ice and fire Every single like aspect of his world—I don't know what the world is called—but like the overall, world, not just Westeros, is not. No,
1: that's the continent. Westeros yeah. is
2: just the continent. The overall world, though, is not fully written out. Right. Like, there's a bunch of eastern continents that are just named after Lovecraft monsters that he just put down. Like, people think there's like some deep lore there, and he literally came out to say, "No, dude, I just needed to name them something, something so I could put them on a map. I don't really know like what's out there." And and honestly, to me. Like, when I was looking into George R. R. Martin's wider world beyond Westeros, I thought that the aspect of like, there's just these vague places way far away, I thought that was so cool. Because, like, totally. who knows what's out there? And it allows you to develop it over time. So, like, that's the kind of the method that I go with. I have a big ass map of Eris, but like, half the locations are named. Some of them have history, some of them have fleshed out backstories and fleshed out characters. Others are blank slates for me to develop later. Like the entire elven land of Dual Marla is named. I named it that, but do I have any details about it? No. And you don't need not to yet. yet. Yeah, no, I don't. I do not need to at all because the elven lands are like literally across a huge ocean for my players and they are never going to go there. And until the next campaign, they're not going to care. So, you know, like the needs first, but yeah. they
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And fun tip here. If you ever need to like contradict yourself or change something and retcon something in that world building, my favorite secret there is to say, oh, it was written down wrong in the histories and you're learning this new truth. Like, oh, it got lost in translation. That's my favorite thing to pull from like real medieval history into my games is say, oh, it was a mistranslation.
1: That is directly cribbed from Tolkien.
0: Yes, 100%. <laughs> you can also say,
2: guys, I decided to change this That story. too. <laughs> Sorry
0: about
2: that. <laughs> Always be direct. I do that all the time. There was like a major NPC in the campaign, like a major villain. He's the BBEG, who I originally named Ether Disheveli because I originally was going to reveal him to be Asmodeus. But over time, I was like, that's dumb. My, par- my players have no idea who that is. But you know who they do know? Vecna. So I renamed him to Cain Meva, which if you shuffle the letters around, it dispels I am Vecna. And I just did that. I just renamed him. And one of my players was like, wasn't he named something different before? And I was like, yeah, he was, but I changed it. And they were like, cool no biggie
0: (laughs) absolutely mac you want to take off with our next question
1: sure what in your experience are some of the biggest problems that people have during games and what solutions would you suggest
2: in my direct experience it's two things it's incompatible parties and i don't mean like class combos or composition of the literal like game aspect of the game like you can overcome that but I mean, like, people who just are not compatible with each other and who, you know, just don't know how to work together to play this game. D&D is like a highly, and all TTRPGs, they're a highly collaborative experience a lot of the time. And that means you're gonna need to collaborate, And, and sometimes people just don't, they just don't jive well together. That was, like, just recently, a bunch of my friends told me, like, hey, we're starting a D&D campaign. And, like, hats off to them. That was awesome. And uh, apparently, they had a lot of fun. But the biggest issue that they told me was some people took it more seriously than others, and that resulted in some friction between the group. And I was like, yeah, that's going to happen, especially when you're trying it out for the first time. Every single person had never played D&D before. Most of them had no idea what it was. Like, the DM literally just figured out how to 3D print dice towers and was just like, I want to be a DM now. He just texted me, two days before like teach me now send me monsters like teach that's me an interesting like, route in all right let's go yeah it was a no i it was a completely random route in like i literally just invited two of my friends who are a couple they they came over to my place and they randomly were just like either wants to play Dungeons and dragons teach me how to make a <laughs> character we don't know how to do it and i was just like going straight in just like that i i i assumed like he had watched critical role or like i don't know something had happened but uh, apparently he had just watched like one of his favorite i don't know like meme let's players play D like once do like a beer and pretzels game and that was and it then he found out how to 3d print dice towers and then yeah he was off the races and there were nice dice towers by the way he painted them added oh, little oh that's fantastic they're like really nice but like, yeah, when they were all playing together, a big issue was lack of compatibility between the players. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the players were to take it more seriously, which it, no problem with that. They were like, hey, Crispy, can you run a short campaign for us at your place? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then that, that was the solution. Yeah. Eventually, I think the, the other big thing is people just not being able to just walk in separate directions. Like everyone thinks everyone needs to be compatible with everybody else. That's not the case. And there's nothing wrong with two people playing two games in two separate places, it's fine. Yeah. It's not a big yeah. deal. Like, I don't think you should admit defeat and kick someone the moment there's any sort of incompatibility, because there are going to be, like, minor aspects of incompatibility, and you're just, you know, people, people can definitely get over it. Like, I'm a really, you know, I'm a combat-heavy DM, but a lot of my players just learn to enjoy it over time, and we end up playing. Like, they don't quit the second that they see a lot of combat in my games, because they learn to enjoy that combat eventually. But... Sometimes there are just incompatibilities that just cannot be that cannot be rectified. and that means that it's best for you guys to just walk in separate directions. That's not admitting defeat or doing something wrong. That's like the healthiest thing you can do. And there's this hesitancy to do that for, you know, for reasons I get, but it is the best thing that you can do. And the other thing that I think really screws over, especially games like mine, where combat is the primary focus, is people who just hate, hate losing. I oh, hate it so much. Yeah. That is a terrible mindset to have in Dungeon Dragons. Like, there are times where, yeah, the DM is screwing you. That happens. And you know, sometimes I have made decisions in combat um, that I look back on like, damn it, Crispy, what the hell did you say that? Why did you rule that? Why did you choose that? Why did you give the monster X ability? That happens. But you know, when people get upset when there's even a modicum of difficulty or a modicum of any sort of challenge or anything going wrong, that sucks. Like, it really sucks to get, like, people being upset at you for just doing your job. Like, that problem player for my first game ever, it was a Curse of Strahd game, and Curse of Strahd has werewolves, so they fought werewolves, and he was pissed. He was so angry that they were fighting werewolves, because he knew <laughs> that werewolves could make you a werewolf. So he was like, you're going to ruin my character if I get bitten. Oh, God! And he started cheating to avoid Wait, it.
1: for whom exactly is lycanthropy a minus?
2: <laughs> well he was like also like guess what i of course had a cure lined up if you didn't want to be a werewolf mm-hmm. like op- of, like i don't know if it was obvious to them but like for the record i had a cure lined up to make sure that if somebody didn't want to be a werewolf they didn't have to be because i know that you know not everyone wants to be a werewolf in their campaign like i get that but what was hilarious was whether of the people in the party are rogue she got bit and, you know, they had to go on the minor side quest to get the, the antidote. And he did not care. He wasn't mad that she got bit or mad that, like, I ruined her character because he only cared about him. his character, yeah. his goals, and him, you know, coming out on top. And that's what was frustrating was, as a DM, I was just doing, like, that combat was not insanely hard. It was over in, like, two rounds. You know, that's nothing. But at the end of the day, though, because there was even the chance, the barest chance that something could go wrong, he he was upset. And I think that happens, yeah, that that happens a lot. In fact, XP to level 3 made a skit, and I remember one of the lines precisely, because I hear this, players don't say this, but I feel like some players do think this, even unintentionally, is, oh god, if I don't roll perfectly here, something even minorly inconvenient might happen, and we can't have that, ever! (laughs) Like, guys... It's okay, it's okay
0: if something kind of goes wrong sometimes. Hey, guess what, you guys? It's a character moment. You get to learn from this. And even if you don't want to learn from it as an individual, it's a great opportunity to roleplay. Let your character have a moment. Let your character have flaws. Let them face challenges. The entire point of the hero's journey is to go around face challenges and overcome them. And I don't know, to me, it's very, very difficult no, to right. lose at D&D because it's not really a game that you win or you lose. It's just, it's a journey rather than a destination is how I like to approach it.
2: Yeah, you you basically got it like right in the eye. I mean, I've seen over, especially on, on Twitter, and I I know, I know, okay, I know that only people who huff serious glue go on <laughs> Twitter, but... I was on Twitter and there's a take I see like a lot, and that is that difficulty gatekeeps people out of games. And I'm just like, okay, you're not entirely wrong. Difficult games are, go- games with more difficult combat are going to be harder for new players. But that's why you have a session zero to clarify what kind of game you're going to be playing. That doesn't mean all difficult games are evil, ya <laughs> It just means that you should find a game with combat that fits your style more, while other people can find games that fit their style more. If they want to run games where combat is hard, that's okay, you idiot. Seriously, that thread really
1: th- <laughs> me. Also, like, if it's mechanically complex, like you don't have to know all the combat mechanics in order to engage in combat as a player. You just have to know how no. to say, hey GM, I want to do thing X. What do I roll?
2: Yeah. I agree. There was, like, to the point where I actually kind of agree with what the thread was saying, I, that new game that I was talking to you about, I was coincidentally setting up my stat block folder, like, where I keep all my monster stats for easy access. Like, coincidentally, I was reorganizing it to be more focused around action-oriented monsters from Matt Coville's designs and some stuff from my own creations. And those monsters, I think, are better than the ones in the monster manual by a long shot. Because they are more complex, they can do more things. However, and this is what I always say before I get to the point, what I always say is it's better for something to be complex because it's easy to remove complexity, but really difficult to add it. As a game designer, I would much prefer that something be complex out of the box so that if I need to simplify it, I can do it easily. But if something's overly simple, it's hard for me to add complexity without putting hours into writing, and at that point I'm just going to make something myself. But what I'm trying to get at is that game that I was talking to you about, the new D&D players, you know, the guy needed monsters. So I sent him monsters from the action oriented monster section of my folder because that's what I was working on. I was like, yeah, these are low challenge rated. He'll get it. But there is a part of me that really regrets that. Now, apparently, it worked out well for him. He really enjoyed using those monsters. So great. But next time, I probably wouldn't do that because those monsters are more complex. And for somebody who has never played the game before, it's honestly needless complexity. I think the monster manual is fine for people who are brand new. I do think that what the Monster Manual has done is create monsters for the majority of low-level monsters, especially, feel like they're only for people who are brand new. So stuff like goblins and skeletons are just boring as hell, no matter what. Whereas I would prefer them to have complexity for anyone, no matter their skill level. However... Again, like as a new DM, he wouldn't know what to remove out of those stat blocks, right? Right, yeah. So that is something that I do generally regret because the DM needs to communicate that mechanical complexity and that can be difficult, especially if you're new.
0: Very true. Very true. So one of the biggest things then to find solutions is, and I think this is a universal solution no matter what, is have a session zero with your players. 100, 100%. Absolutely.
2: Have a session zero. People fight me on that, but I'm just telling them like, no, shut the f- up. Have, have session a session zero. zero.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, just just I've just have I mean, I've zero. gotten to it, and I've seen for people having like a consent checklist or a consent sheet where you go through, hey, what are you comfortable with in this campaign? Just have one. It does not make you a wuss. It does not make you a worse GM to take your players' comfort level into account. And if you guys just don't yeah. mesh on a certain thing, then just bring that up to them directly and say, "Hey, you know, I run a very combat-heavy session, you want a very roleplay-heavy campaign. I don't think this is a good match." It doesn't mean you guys hate each other. It doesn't mean that you guys can never play together. It just means that this campaign probably won't work.
1: There are a lot of complex like tools out there for like, "Here's how to navigate a session 0" and here's like a set of checklists and cards and whatnot for you to use. Like you don't have to do that. If you are put off by it, you can just sit down and go like, what do you guys expect from this game? And like, what are things that you aren't comfortable with? And you can have like a regular human conversation. Yeah, that's another big thing. It's not a high difficulty.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I have a session zero. I don't have like, you know, a comprehensive google form for safety like i have a safety tools like discord just channel where you just read up what's in the game and you can discuss it with me if you ha- are uncomfortable with anything but for the most part i'm just saying like here's what's in the game here's what's not in the game talk to me if you have an issue with any of
0: what i've just yep. lifted easy peasy there you go
2: and this is something i've noticed especially when i'm on D youtube is like i can talk about session zeroes and having, you know, talking to the players about what they're comfortable with. Like, I can basically say what a safety tool is, the entire definition, comprehensively, and no one cares. But the moment I say the words safety tools, well, it's then everyone loses their minds. <laughs> See that f- scene in the in scene in the hospital in the Dark Night. Like, everyone loses it immediately. I'm like, guys, holy hell. No one has a problem if I just like list off what a safety tool is. But when the term is brought up, people are like, oh my
0: God, what? No. You're ruining, <laughs> ruining the game. It's
2: like, <laughs> Everyone comes out of the woodwork. Of course. uh, What's up? What's next? So
0: for. (laughs) So your favorite like content, your least favorite content when it comes to the actual like what's in the game. What are some of your favorite tropes and worst pet peeves, like regardless of how cliche they are?
2: Oh, jeez. I don't know. Um, I'm going to be honest. I haven't played. Like,
0: do you, do you absolutely hate edgy rogues? Do you love them? Like, throw, throw me some hot takes, Crispy.
1: I was really hoping he was just going to stop with, like, to be honest, I haven't played. This whole thing has been a fraud. <laughs> Never heard of it.
2: No, seriously. I haven't played, like, as a player, I haven't played D&D since 2020. Like, three years. <laughs> seriously. I DM. And that's not me saying, like, oh, I'm a forever DM, what was me? No, I love being a DM, dude. It's, it's great. I do like being a player, but being a DM is where my passion is. So I'm just, like, as a player, what I've enjoyed is kind of just like whatever someone throws at me. Because, like, as a player, I, I really don't have that much experience. Like, I played one shots since 2016, but they were sparse, and it's been literally years. And I, you know, dude, my memory's not doesn't go that far back. Are you kidding me? But um, as for my favorite, my favorite tropes, I mean, I'm a sucker for, like, a, like a standoff. Like, a good, old-fashioned standoff. Doesn't need to have guns involved, but, like, if, if the world does have, like, revolvers or six-shooters, like, you bet your ass I'm gonna be picking up one of those. I love a standoff. I love heists, too. Ooh,
0: heists are always good.
2: I also like a good old, like, point A to point B. Which is crazy because I've never run a campaign that's point A to point B in my life. I've always run like complex political intrigue or you know, supernatural conspiracies. I've never done a point A to point B campaign, but I am preparing one in my third home game with my like, regular group of players because like, this newest campaign has been like very complex in terms of story and I do regret that. I regret not simplifying it down because it's just, like, it's just needlessly complex. But yeah, favorite tropes, I would say, like, good old standoff, I love a heist, and I love just simple point A to point B storytelling. Like, I love God of War, where Kratos is just like, let's start at the cabin, go up to the mountain. Lord of the Rings, you start in the Shire, you go to Mordor. Like, just simple, nice, easy destination storytelling I I really like. My worst pet peeves? I get really... Okay, this is gonna sound really mean. (laughs) But I am... (laughs) I am a hermit... In real life, by the way, when they were communicating with me for the show, I was like, I I was really bad at responding because <laughs> I am a hermit in real life. Like I hang out with friends like you know once a week for a couple hours, but other than that, like I spend most of my time alone because that's my happy place. I like being alone where no one talks to me and I'm just in the quiet of my own home. I like
0: right that. On board that's that. nice. That's exactly- See, that's okay with Matt because I, I have to pull him out of his troll cave every single time that we want to record. (laughs) excuse me yeah it's like it's, it's great a goblin cave I'm sorry
2: it's my favorite thing so what I'm about to say is I really hate it when I'm just out and about in the world and somebody like interrupts whatever i'm doing to ask if they can join my game out of nowhere and that's happened twice and both times maybe i was mean about it but i'm sorry (laughs) that that does irk me when somebody i'm just like having a conversation with friends someone overhears that i play dungeon dragons and they get really insistent that they should be in my game That i need to let them in my game and like right now i don't know who you are i don't know your name i don't even know where you came from man but they want to be in my game there was this one time i told the story on the podcast On my podcast, not this one. I haven't been on this one. (laughs) There was a, I was at like a friend's workplace and we were just, I was just having lunch with her at her office and door was open and we were talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And I guess like a guy who was also working there heard me through his, cubicle or something and as i was heading out he stands up too and starts walking out towards the elevator and i'm on like a five-story walk-up so it's like a long way down i get to the elevator and before the elevator gets there i'm jamming out all right prodigy invaders must die in the ears i can't hear shit. and eventually like i feel something tap my shoulder and i'm like what and he's like so you play dungeon dragons yeah back to music yeah (laughs) and then (laughs) Apparently, he doesn't get the hint. I get into the elevator. He gets in there with me. And damn it, dude, this guy smelled like shit. I'm sorry, all right? But it's hard not to notice. I'm trapped in the elevator with this guy with the worst hair I've ever seen. Like, you can at least comb it, man. Come on. If you're going to ask some random guy to, to let you in your game, you can at least, like, groom yourself, man. Come on. But anyway, I'm, I'm heading down the elevator, like, the number ticking down slower than it ever has. And I can hear him talking to me from here, but I'm listening to music. Like, it's muffled. Something, 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 pay Dungeons & Dragons? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I work on, on, on YouTube. Something, 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 pay for your Dungeons & Dragons. I'm like, my players don't pay for my games, man. I don't know what Ooh. you're- And then finally, he just, like, comes right here. He gets right here, and it's like, can I play in your game? And I'm like- No. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> no.
2: No. man. I was- ni- I, I was. At that point, I was just like, look, man, I'm sorry. I only play with friends. And then he goes on this freaking sob story about, like, oh, yeah. The campaign i was in didn't work out and i was like yeah i wonder why (laughs) and eventually i got into the lobby and i just start like i fast walk past the security guard go out the door and i'm like i get on my scooter and i'm out i'm gone go beeline to downtown to get into my car i was like no because this this dude that really annoyed me though like the fact that he was coming right here to yell at me to let me let him in my game that pissed me off so you want a pet peeve there you go that always annoys me when people interrupt my peaceful listening to music time in the elevator to ask to be in my game don't do that seriously what that guy did you can't that's do that that's
1: such a strange decision too cuz like if you're okay with playing in games with like just people you don't know there are resources for that like you yeah can... that's
0: what looking for games Go on are. the internet yeah, f- yeah.
2: <laughs> get on the internet man jeez he had like a i i have seen him like cuz you know I, She's my friend. I go to her office. I, I I've seen him around, and he's always got a steam deck on him. So I'm like, all right, man, you paid like a small fortune for that thing. You can't go and get a paid D and D game or something. Like seriously, man, come on. Oh,
0: that's rough. But uh, yeah, yeah. Like number one, that like don't inject cool. yourself into other people's conversations. Lots. Yeah, and then two, have a little bit of decency to like want to get to know somebody first. And see if you're compatible, know guy's name, you know, to, before you jump into somebody's at game. At the time,
2: I didn't even know his name. All I knew was it was a tall dude who was leaning over me right here. By the way, tall to me is like most people because <laughs> I'm 5'4". I'm really short. So, yeah, but that, that is a pet peeve. There you go.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, oh, that sounds like one. Damn. All right. So what are the various tropes? and bad players that can like show up in your game or tropes of bad players that can show up in your game. And hopefully, this is now when we'll start to try and come up with some medieval ideas that hopefully our listeners have heard before to try and solve some of these issues. And basically, like how can we think outside of the box to help people come up with solutions to these problems? So, what are medieval ideas? Yeah, like you, can we put the them in the stock?
2: Sounds like you're gonna like torture. <laughs> yeah, like I, I was about to say, what are you doing here, man? Zoe, I, I don't
0: know. No, no, no. People, <laughs> what what ideas? I will not from medieval text. Context. Well, I mean, there are some. There are some I'm still medieval ideas <laughs> from the last time. Okay? <laughs> I don't know. There's been some medieval ideas that we've wanted to bring back on this show, but Max usually more in favor of those than I am.
1: I'm trying to think of examples now, but I'm coming up The, the
0: skin chair. That you, you liked the skin chair idea, Mac.
1: I think it's a good thing to do to corrupt oh, politicians is make them into chairs.
2: I don't. I don't know what that is. I I have not participated <laughs> in any sort of skin chairing. But uh, the types of bad players that can appear in your game, obviously, like horror stories are the outlier. But the ones that I think are most common are number one. Main character syndrome is pretty common. I think that a lot of people fall into main character syndrome, not because they're like bad people or they're narcissists or something. It's just because like, you know, some people are really talkative. That happens. And sometimes I get into a game and somebody is, you know, talking over me or, you know, trying to just inject themselves into every situation. And it's usually like a, a symptom of just, you know, being excited, which is not a crime. But, you know, that's why you communicate. You talk to them like, hey, man, why'd you butt into this situation? And there are times where like, Honestly, I, I haven't done that, like, when I did play this game, sometimes there, there was this guy in one of my groups who would constantly just, like, walk over whatever I was doing. And I didn't, like, take it personally, but it was, it was annoying, like, I'm trying to do something and you just, like, interject yourself. But at the end of the day, like, I just decided not to say anything because we were coming up to the end of the campaign, and I don't know if that was a bad move because, like, who knows, maybe that guy would have listened to me but that is a big one that you encounter a lot. And I think it is worthwhile. It's worthwhile to talk about it because usually, again, they're just excited and they just don't get like, oh, I'm walking all over people. Like, you know, it's like that classic extrovert talks to the introvert, you know, social situation that no one ever thinks about, but I just brought up. Like, you know, you're you're accidentally going to walk over someone sometimes. It's going to happen if you talk a lot and someone else talks a little. Yeah, It's normal. Other than that, I mean, that's the most common one. A lot of people talk about stuff like, power gamers or edge lords, But usually when people make edgy characters, it's it's 99% of the time, it's not a problem. Like I've had an edgy character in like every single one of my streamed games where like I am recording it and it is role play heavy and it's never been an issue. And usually edgy characters are just people who like really like Arya Stark or something. You know, they just like those quiet, you know, they just like those quiet yeah. lords. And you know what? I do too. Like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of those kind of characters and I make them a lot too. I don't usually think it's a problem. Honestly, like, I think problem DM, like people talk about problem players a lot, but like as somebody who is like a regular DM, who DMs a lot, I think actually problem DMs are generally more common and also easier to create. DMs who just don't prep a lot, DMs who don't balance combat properly and don't bother to learn, DMs who walk all over their players, DMs who railroad too much or are too loose with their sandbox and the players have no idea what to do. DMs who don't communicate with their players like that is a lot and I'm not trying to say that DMs who do that are like terrible people because fundamentally being a DM is far harder than being a player every single time being a DM is very difficult and you have a lot of things that you can mess up doesn't make you a bad person when you do but I think DMs who refuse to learn that is something that is common that happens a lot so in terms of like oh what problem player are you gonna across like the most like the i think the problem player that's going to be the most problematic is a dm who doesn't care to improve like that's far more of something that i am concerned about than anything else yeah
0: yeah totally totally makes sense because there's a power imbalance there that's inherent to any kind of ttrpg that you play whether it's dm gm storyteller whatever where they control so much of the world whereas the player has one character one person that they can control. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I think that can help is one, one of the things you were just referencing is DMs who either railroad too tightly or DMs who have such an open sandbox, the players just have no idea what to do with that. There are two techniques that are more or less medievally oriented that I wanted to bring up as possible solutions for those DMs out there who do wish to learn and improve. And hey, like maybe like you're a fantastic DM, maybe try this out and just see what happens. The first one is ring storytelling. Ring composition is another way to to phrase it, which Herodotus first used in like the Greek histories. And the type of storytelling this is, And I found it very useful in my own games to sort of to use and scope plots for a macro and micro level. But basically you start with quest hook A and as you go along that quest hook, you run into quest hook B and then quest hook C and then quest hook D. And you finish up or you tie up the loose end of quest hook D and then you start going backwards, back out to C, back out to B, back out to A. And the way that maybe this could work for you, just to put it into more practice, is A is like the big existential threat to the world. You can open up your campaign with whatever that massive existential threat is. All the players are aware of it. The entire world is aware of it. And then maybe B is a larger nationwide conflict. C is the town conflict. And then D is the quest. And so all of these quest hooks are out there lying there for the players, they know what's on the table. And then they can kind of go from small to large. And so then they're seeing, okay, I can start to wrap up by wrapping up quest hook D, I can go into quest hook C, I can go into quest hook B, and then oh my gosh, we're at the climax of the game. And In my experience, it's worked very, very well to sort of leave things open, but also remind players that there's a lot on the table that they can check into at any time.
2: I do think it's a good idea to have a loose structure for how the campaign is going to progress. I think Ginny D talked about this, but like sometimes the game's scope can get away from you. Like, you know, you start with fighting goblins and then you go to killing God. Yep,
0: (laughs) the anime problem. Sometimes you don't
2: want to do that, and I think that it is good to pre-plan. Like, I was talking about, like, how you should start small, but one thing I didn't bring up, especially in my world-building process, is I—have you ever painted before? Yeah. Yeah, when you're, when you're painting, you, if you've watched, like, a Bob Ross tutorial, for example, like, he starts with these broad strokes, like, ideas and colors for how the painting is going to go, and then goes into the details. Start with those broad ideas, like the big picture stuff. You know, you don't need to go in-depth about everything. Like, make sure not to get too carried away, unless you have the time. But start with the big picture stuff. Like, figure out, like, who your BBEG is. Or figure out what the setting is. Like, Like, big picture stuff that you fundamentally need for the campaign to happen. And part of that big picture can be, you know, the progression of the threats in your world. Like... For example, one thing that I regretted with Descent into the Veil, which is my home game, not for viewing, but you can watch a campaign diary on my channel if you want to. In Descent into the Veil, the parties start out with fighting off, like, like they were fighting off a, a big sea monster that was summoned by a mysterious religious group that was dominating the free cities of the land. And they started, like, unraveling this conspiracy of, like, of fighting these, you know, these fanatics and then going to fight some vampires and fighting some cowboys. But the problem is I had like the demon cowboys, the vampires, the fanatics, they were all just outlined. They were just in the world. There was no progression of threat. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were just out there and all of them were presented as equal threat, even though the fanatics are led by the BBG, who is Vecna. They were secretly worshiping Vecna. I didn't really properly establish or progress the plot in any sort of direction because I wanted the players to have an open view of, like, where they wanted to go because it was a pirate seafaring campaign, and I wanted the idea of, like, where do you wish to sail now without directing them? But over time, because I needed the campaign to go in certain directions, I needed to, like, redirect them in a lot of ways, and that ended up making a more linear campaign later down the line. So I do think it is a good idea to vaguely plot the structure of your game before you start. It doesn't need to be set in stone, obviously. Like, you can absolutely change it as the game goes along and adjust how you how your players interact with your world and what enemies they're going to be fighting over time. Like, you might come up with a new idea. You know, you watch a new show, you play a new video game and you come up with something new and that happens to me all the time but having that loose structure of progression might not be a bad idea yeah
0: yeah absolutely and that's why i do like that ring structure is you can kind of set up what those big things are and then sort of check in with them as you go both in and out of those like circles if you will
1: i'm gonna need to look this up i've never heard of this ring structure before
0: really Oh, it's fantastic! It's one of my favorite like storytelling things that I've ever learned.
1: I mean, the rest of us didn't have an intense classical education.
0: I learned this in university, but okay.
1: Oh well, dude, I learned
2: about social media in university. <laughs> I was learning about digital audiences.
0: I don't know what you guys. Are- <laughs> <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to know. A little bit different field. <laughs> yeah, very different very field different here. field.
1: I just assumed that was something you picked up from, like, your earlier education, because I was thinking of, like...
0: Oh, my my years of Latin study? (laughs) Yeah, I was
1: thinking of when we got the Q&A, and someone was like, oh, what was your favorite book? And you were like, when I was a child, my favorite book was Cicero.
2: look... I did read Latin when I was a kid. I don't remember anything about it, but
0: I do. See, I'm not the only one. I feel slightly vindicated.
2: Thank you, Crispy. It was required by my high school in order to graduate. I have to take two years of Latin, but
0: yep. Yep. But one of the other things that I'm reminded of is the quest structure of both Gawain and the green knight and Perlis Vaus or like the Percival story. And there's this really cool momentum in those stories But there are multiple threads at the same time, but they're always tied back up with Percival. And I think you can use this in your campaigns by doing the same thing with the party. And wherever the party goes, think as a DM in the back of your mind, okay, what other ways, like what, I don't want to say like trickle effects, but like what effects happen down the line because the party has been there? What other threads can you tie back in? And maybe that's a good way for you to come up with a good plot if you're lacking something there. But I don't know. I also like that idea that the world itself doesn't revolve around your players in the party, but their story does and it should. And I think that's something that some DMs can get a little bit too caught up in is they love their world so much that they're not willing to sacrifice things for the party.
2: Yeah, I, um, I do agree with you, like, a lot of people, like, I do too, I get, like, really attached to the world I'm creating. Like, Eris is a really cool homebrew world, and I don't want, like, you know, there are certain characters that I really, really like, but at the end of the day, the players can make decisions and have effects on what happens. Like, just recently I was running, I mean, I'm not gonna spoil Crown of Deceit because it's not done by the time this episode comes out, but... In Crowd Deceit, I've already recorded the whole thing, but it's going to be airing over weeks, by the way, in case you didn't get what I just said. But in Crowd Deceit, the players can have big effects on how the world progresses. In fact, they can have major like, effects on like, the major governments of the realm, because many of the leading figures in those governments are, are a part of the campaign, and some of them can die. And I was nervous about some characters, because characters like Crawford Cyrillish, Kalia Solfero, these are major NPCs in this campaign. Not only are they are NPCs, though, I really like these characters. Like, they're characters that I made that I really, really like. And obviously, I don't want them to die. But I have to embrace the fact that when you put characters into a game, you are opening them up to whatever the player's decisions are. Now, there are times where I will communicate to the players like, hey, this NPC is really important to the plot. It's really important that you guys, like, you know, actually want to be around them. Please give me critique if you don't like this character because they are important to the plot. And if you don't like them, that's something that I need to, like, figure out. That's something that sometimes happens with my games. Like, if you've watched Shadow of a is it's an actual play that's on my YouTube channel at this very moment. You can go watch the whole thing. But um, in that campaign... An NPC named Kalia Sophero was very, very plot relevant. She was the primary quest giver. And if the players like hated her from day one, it would make the plot like very like pointless. Because there's nothing stopping them from just walking out and not participating if they don't like her. They need to to actually like her in order for the plot to even make sense. So I communicate with the players early on, like, hey, tell me how you feel about this character. And you know, they told me, we like her a lot. She's really awesome. So I was like, all right, good.
0: <laughs> don't need to worry about it. They're not gonna kill this character off
2: they're not going to kill the character. Great. Awesome. We can we can move on and the plot will not be nonsensical. Like There are ways I could have rewritten it, but it would have been a pain. It was just more easy for me to communicate. And that's what communication is for. You ask your players how they feel about stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, do keep in mind that it's okay to kill your darlings. And the cool part about having a TTRPG world is that you can have that happen in one campaign and it looks totally different in another campaign. You can replay that in a thousand different ways. That's kind of why this genre of storytelling is so cool. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump into a few medieval ideas and see how how many holes we can poke in them? Okay. I'm not going to be able to poke anything, dude. That's okay. We'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see. So, the first one is I think it was our first episode, actually, called The Tournament of Tottenham. It was
1: our first episode, yeah.
0: Yeah, where essentially it's this weird little medieval English poem about a bunch of peasants coming together and, like, sticking literal buckets on their head and fighting each other for the hand of a peasant's daughter. And... They basically fight each other, and the entire thing goes to shit. And they all, like, who actually wins? It's just the guy who's standing up at the very end of it?
1: Yeah, I think that's how it started Some, out. Something
0: like that. And then they all they all get drunk, fall over, and then they go to the tavern afterwards. So you said that one of the things you really like is a standoff trope. This isn't quite a standoff, per se. I mean, it's a very large standoff, so it's a, it's a tournament what problems
1: i mean i think for a standoff people have to be reluctant to actually fight
2: is that a is that a requirement of a standoff no they just need to be ready they just need to be prepared they don't know what's (laughs) going to happen
1: i thought you were talking about like the kind of situation where they're like all right if we start this fight a bad thing's going to happen so we have to so like there's a there's a long pause
2: yeah to you That's that's the ideal. I'm re- no when I'm having a stand like whenever I do a standoff like as a player character like the one time I've done it like I was ready, dude. I was ready to to kill that random guard. He was threatening me. I had my hand on the trigger. I was ready. There was no hesitancy. Nice. I just didn't know who was gonna draw first. That's the he- that's what I wear. The standoff. That's the comes standoff. From. But. uh uh in terms of I okay so I'm like are the players the participants in the tournament? That's totally
0: one way it could go. Yes.
1: I think the idea we were kind of running with is the players are passers through and they're like this would be like a first level introductory welcome to Very the campaign easy. kind of adventure and just a way to get them comfortable with their characters and the mechanics. And, like, they're, they're passing through while this is going on, and they have the option of getting involved with these characters they're, like, role-playing with in the tavern, and that's what's, like, coming up in the... In the that's that's the what's going in on the in the town. Yeah.
2: I think that that is... Okay, so I've tried a situation where Something big is going on in the background once. I, there was this bard who the players learned about was like, gonna fight a noble lady because the bard accidentally flirted with her guy and this noble lady's an expert in the in the blade and the bard's like screwed she's she has no idea how to fight but the players were like no i don't care about you i'm not gonna help you at all and then so i was like all right well something's gonna happen to this bard in the background and in the background the bard got the crap kicked out of her and now she works for one of the other npcs in the game and i didn't think anything of it but in that situation my main issue was My players, at least, are very focused on what's happening to them. What happens in the background was not in their primary focus. So if your players are like passers-by in this town and there's a tournament going on, Actually, I think a tournament would catch their eye, and they'll probably go there. But if they go, you're most likely just going to be describing the tournament. I would say try to get your players to participate. Like, if you want, like, you know, it could still be a tournament where you get basic weapons, magic is banned, and you just hit each other with sticks. I would say that's kind of dangerous because D&D is a game designed around the abilities you're given, and some of those abilities are going to be magic. So if, for example, the person running this thing says, no magic! Well, what if you're a wizard? You know, you know you're going to be very bored throughout this event because half of your abilities are going to be shot. Also, of course, like, you know, unless the player is interested in the romance with that specific NPC, it might be hard to like, you know, make the whole merchant's daughter thing work out.
1: I think the version that we were talking about when we, when we originally pitched this was, there's some time before, before the tournament, like a couple days, and some of the participants are trying to get a leg up. And so they're asking the PCs to like mm. help them, maybe in manners of subterfuge give them a or in, boon. in, in equipment. And like, hey, I'll, I'll give you some cash if you help me find a real weapon, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's great. I mean, actually, that's a really good, that's that's a great idea. If you if you have, if your players are going to a town, they meet with these tournament goers, and they can choose who to support, and then they go on a quest, like a mini side quest, to go into wyvern's cave to retrieve a legendary sword buried in the rock. I will say, though, my perspective is colored by the kind of players I have. My players are very active. Like, if I present anything that they can do, they will go, I want to do it. Like, if I say, there's a tournament going on, they're going to go, I'm going to fight there. And, and you know, I, I need to be ready for that to happen. So when, I, when like, I present them the quest of, do you want to help one of the participants? No. I want to go I wanna fight. want to be one of the participants. Right. Like, one of the things that happened in my game was, like, I gave them, it didn't help that the captain was a dick, but I, they, their ship got blown up. And they needed a new one, like a rent-a-ship. So I gave them a bunch of funny options. And, and you know, they had all the options had a dick-headed captain. And I thought the players were just going to deal with the dick-headed captain. He would die in the campaign in a funny way and we'd move on with our lives. But one of the players was like, no, I'm not going to ride with this guy. I challenge you to a duel right here, right now. I will be the captain. And so they fought in a duel. Yeah, I w- yeah, he literally said I'm going to be the captain and the ranger killed the captain right then and there <laughs> cuz he wasn't going to deal with it. Sometimes you're going to have to be ready for players to just want to participate. There not everyone is going to want to be a sideliner. Yep.
1: Yep. Although it would be f- it would be fun if they participated in the tournament, won the tournament, and then for the rest of the campaign they have to deal with like, "All right, you're you're legally married to this peasant now." Like, <laughs> she's around. She's either coming with you <laughs> on your adventures fun- or you have to figure out a way to like Arrange that.
0: That automatically gives you a home base.
2: Yeah. If my players are watching this, stop. <laughs> but in the introduction to my home game, my third home game that I'm preparing right now, they are going to be opening up in a tournament called The Proving. And that's the, that's the cold open. So maybe the cold open to your campaign, instead of being The Proving, could be this tournament. And one of the players is trying to... Like, obviously, you rig it so that they win. As the dungeon master, you are capable of doing that. But you, um... You, you know, give them this easy fight to open up the campaign and it ends with one of the players, you know, getting together with a love interest that you guys have already decided on. That could also be a good oh, way yeah. to, to open up your campaign as a cold.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So things to consider when running tournament-style sessions, and that could be for ours in particular, this weird medieval story, or it could be for any tournament, is... Your players might not want to be sideliners. They will want to get involved. Allow them to get involved. When you allow them to get involved, consider what kind of combat you are running, if anything, because is magic on the table or not? What does that look like? And then finally, if they don't necessarily want to be active participants in the tournament, if it's just something going on, how can you tie that into quest hooks? How can you tie that into the plot like, how can you tie that into what the players are actually doing, so that it's not just set dressing?
1: You also All have, have to, consider, to consider that was great. Like whether or not your players are interested in a combat or a role play focus. Like, I imagine, yeah, most of the games I've run and played in, I would say a good portion of the players would be like, well, I don't want to fight in a tournament. Combat takes forever. Like, we're just going to do other things, and you know what? You can tell us. Like, we're, we're going we're gonna to help the guys, we're going to, like, get involved on the sidelines, but you can just tell us how the tournament happens. But if they're, if they're combat-focused, they're going to want to be in the tournament, and then even if they're... Then you, could, you do always have the option of saying, like, alright, like, if you don't want to have your character participate in this tournament, you can run the NPCs who are participating in the tournament.
2: And a lot of people find D&D combat boring because the monsters are bad. That's why you should back Matt Colville's Flea Mortals book, available on <laughs> Kickstarter for $30, right now. Show him where the money is. Because guys, I'm telling you, this has changed my games for the better. I'm telling I will you tell Spread you. Spread the word, alright? Matt Colville's I have incredible. To- I have told every YouTuber... Every YouTuber I've worked with, I've told every single one of them, I have, I have not used nothing but flea Mortals Monsters for the past couple months. So spread the word, get out there, show them where the money is. <laughs> it's good.
0: Yeah, Matt Colville is an incredible game designer and DM. So, I, gosh, no, oh, he's awesome. Yeah, he's he's one of the first ways I learned how to run run games myself.
2: Combat was boring, but then I got flea Mortals. <laughs> we should make one of those cheesy like two thousands uh, infomercials for this. There you I, go.
0: Yeah. All right. Another quest or another idea that we had in mind is like a traditional like point A to point B quest, which is Gawain and the Green Knight. And this is one of those tales that we just decided you could pick up wholesale and basically shove into your campaign. And the premise of this quest is even nice for a higher level play, because you have a like this weird fey creature show up wherever the players are. So in the story, it's King Arthur's court, but it could be in their own court in their own headquarters, their castle, whatever they have. And he shows up and says, Alright, and this is great for active players. uh, I challenge one of you to cut my head off. And of course, Gawain stands up and says, "Like sure, I'll I'll do it." And the trick here is whoever cuts his head off has to receive the or well harm him to hit him, and whoever does this has to receive the same cut in kind in a year's time. Yeah, it
1: is important that he doesn't actually say "cut my head off."
0: Yes, that's true. He just says, "Like cool, hit me with this ax I'm not and sure it even says same with blow the in
1: axe; kind. it's just implied.
0: I think, yeah, whatever. Anyway, point is, hit me and then receive the same blow in kind. And so, of course, Gawain, thinking he's clever, cuts the guy's head off. Because how is the Green Knight going to, you know, return the blow if he's dead? So I really like this as a twist automatically. Because this guy comes in and you don't even have to make him look supernatural. If he's just dead, he can't come back. But then he does come back. And says, cool, I expect you to turn up at the Green Chapel and receive this blow. And as he goes, he meets this lady who tries to seduce him. You don't necessarily have to have that in your campaign if you don't want it there. But he gets this... He Does he steal it? Or does no, she take gives it, it to he him. Just takes, she gives it to him. This magic girdle that will theoretically protect him against any blow, any injury, any wound. And Gawain goes and bows under the green knight and still like shrinks he still pulls away even though he theoretically is going to be fine and so the whole thing is a moralistic tale but it's so weird it's so goofy i think that this would be a fun quest to chuck your players into so how do we adapt this
2: one of the big issues that I find with... Okay, so the situation you are describing is reliant on players making specific... I don't remember the exact... I, I watched the movie a while ago, so I don't
1: remember the movie's the exact, a very so. nice no, you're good. I don't remember anyway. The exact it won't help you a whole lot.
2: Yeah, I, I have not participated in the story, but if I'm remembering correctly, the guy goes in the quest specifically because the, he cut off the Green Knight's head, and the Green Knight's coming back to cut off his, and he needs to make sure he doesn't die. I'm not
1: wrong in that, right?
0: <sighs> he... He has to go and meet the Green Knight to get his head cut off.
1: Yeah, the the um, only thing that's yes. making him go is like honor, honor, yeah,
0: which is a honor. problem for D anD D players. Yeah, I think that's that's
2: <laughs> what I was about to say. So when I um am I want to say okay, so there are definitely times where I my players like will stumble into a situation. That's a very common trope. Like, you know, you, you know, Frodo finding the ring, stumbling into like a bigger situation that they never could have expected. What happened in my campaign is, Basically, my players were needing help to find a great sea monster that was ravaging the ocean and hiding in an ancient temple. They didn't know where it was. And then suddenly, they meet a merchant who, like, on the road, like, this random merchant with a goat. And they were like, oh my god, random merchant on the road. Have you seen any of this temple? Because, like, obviously, they walked up to him because I called attention to it, and my players are very active, and I knew that. And the merchant was like, yeah, I saw the temple here. And they went there, they slew the serpent, and then afterwards... The merchant met up with them again while they're partying about killing the great beast. He shook the hand of the monk, and then suddenly the merchant disappeared. And in the monk's pocket, a red ruby appeared that just said the word soon carved onto it. Because it turned <laughs> out that merchant, that merchant was Cain Meva, a.k.a. the Avatar of Vecna. And that launched them into this major quest involving vampires and wishes and summoning cities from across the sea. And it was insane. But all of it just teetered on somebody shaking this motherfucker's hand. Someone had to do it. I didn't know who, but someone needed to do it. And that is a major failure point because I was being really subtle about it because I, was, I wanted my players to do this. And if I was being sus, they're not going to do right. it. But you know, it's hard to pull off that kind of thing and it's it's a similar thing here like your quest cannot have a failure cannot have such a major failure point to just stop it from starting and look you never want to be in that situation where you say guys i need you to do this nor to start the quest there are times where it's going to be obvious like players can't play curse of Strahd if they don't go to barovia just fundamentally if you don't go to barovia you can't play the game sorry but uh for something that's more innocuous like needing to shake a guy's hand or needing to go on this quest to find the green knight out of honor you're, you, that's a big failure point for your players for to sure. just go, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to. Sorry. And they're fully within your rights to because what you're asking them to do feels not You need to be a little bit more direct. And I don't want to say railroady. I think the this is what I, I've gotten really annoyed with with the railroading discussion is the discussion around railroading and railroading being bad has led to a lot of people feeling like any sort of direct linear game is bad. And I really hate that mindset because all of my games have been fairly linear. I'm very open about not having a high exploration pillar, especially for actual plays where the campaigns are short, and if I have a high exploration pillar, they will become long, and that's not good for me. So I'm very open about that, but unfortunately, that means I do need to be a little bit more direct with my players. I need to be a little bit more tricksy with how I get them into situations. Again, players of mine, stop watching. But in the third campaign, they're going to stumble upon a magical blade that is their one ring the magical sword with a lock the the sheath is like locked on it's housing a very powerful devil inside the blade and them picking it up that is going to start the quest i know they're going to pick up the sword because they're my players and they love loot more than anything so i i am very well aware that they're going to do that but if they don't i have stuff prepared just in case like one of the players has already chosen the criminal background and we'll have a criminal contact. I will have the criminal contact pick up the sword instead, they get killed off, and the players are instead spurned by a quest of revenge. Both options are viable. You need to have ways to direct your players to the quest, and those ways cannot have major failure points that will lead to your players just going, why are we even doing this? That's the worst thing that could possibly happen. If your players sit there and think, why are we even here? That's bad. And I have a feeling if you take too closely to the Green Knight, where they're spurned by honor, honor, something that's largely ephemeral, eventually, after 10 sessions, they're going to be sitting there thinking, why are we here again? Like, why are we even doing this? Yeah, we don't need to. <laughs> Which is, yep, don't be in that situation, guys, because I've been there, and it sucks.
1: An idea I would have to kind of deal with that is, this shouldn't be like the whole campaign. It shouldn't be like, all right, session one, here's the green knight, you have to hit him. And then the rest of the sessions are, you're going to the, the green chapel. This should be something that you introduce as part of a larger kind of sandboxy campaign, so that... They can choose not to go to the Green Chapel, and that's fine. They have other things they can be doing. There are other quests they could be following up on. But in the way that is common in most medieval texts and definitely chivalric romances, if they do something dishonorable, somehow everyone knows about it and is ready to judge them, (laughs) and there are consequences. That could work. Yeah.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. I think that could work. I think having like more of a if you're running a more open world campaign and you don't mind changing the world to that degree in order to accommodate for this quest, I think that that is a viable option though. I will say often I I don't want to go through the trouble of having players become pariah because they didn't want to go on one side quest. That makes I mean that's going to make certain activities a lot more difficult especially since a lot of my games have political intrigue. It could make things interesting. But again, like, is it worth... What I will often judge my quests on is, is the conse- are the consequences even worth the trouble? It's like, don't make threats if you're not prepared to carry them out. Oftentimes, I'm not. Like, oftentimes, it's just not a lot... It's too much trouble for me to give them a quest that could ruin their relationship with an important NPC because that NPC is going to be important down the line. And yeah, I could rewrite the book or I could just change the quest, yep. you know? The quest doesn't need to happen. Yep. So even in sandbox games, like, my opening campaign... I, you know, there are times where I'm just going to be like, okay, yeah, I could give them this quest that could result in them becoming a pariah, but am I willing to risk that? And usually the answer is no, because there's other shit that needs to be done. Orcus is invading.
0: Gotta take care of that first, you know? (laughs) Definitely. So. One of the other things I think you could do with this is give them a good motivation for why they need to get this done, right? And for Gawain, it was honor, but your players are not Gawain. They need a different motivation. And so one thing might be to say, okay, This is on the way, this is a mini quest on the way to getting a bigger thing. In order to get to the main goal, you have to overcome this first. That might be a really good way to get them to buy into needing to do this. Or maybe if you tie it into a player's very personal backstory, maybe this is the way that they get their brother back or get a needed item or whatever. You just have to make it work for them. You
1: can just flag like hey, this guy is, like, you can make it clear that he's a supernatural fey creature of some sort and kind of hint, hey, this would be a really useful ally for you to have.
2: Mm Mm-hmm what I what I generally work with is what you just said about player backstory that is to me like a major part like if the green Knight is a part of someone's backstory, that is a great motivator. If somebody has like you know a prophecy foretold at birth about meeting a powerful fake creature and this powerful fake creature comes to them that will automatically motivate the party. If you, you know, there are ways to motivate the party in simpler ways like having the Green Knight steal a magic item. But stuff like player backstory is so powerful for shaping your story and being able to link that into your story is a great, great thing. My concern with side quests is always side quests feeling like they don't need to be there. And that's why very often I just kind of won't. Like, there are very few times where I will give a side quest just because, like, again, I got I got stuff to do. Like, I got my main quests are long. Yep. And my players are much more likely to care about stopping Vecna than going, I don't know, to, to hunt down...
0: XYZ. Some buried treasure yeah. on an
2: island somewhere, you know? Like, they are much more likely to care about that thing. And also, like, you know, someone might go, oh, well, what if your players want to do something that's not associated with stopping Vecna? Well, I can tie in those things into stopping Vector. Like my players want to go on a whaling quest. And you might be thinking like, oh, well, why not have a whaling side quest? Or I can make the whaling relevant to the main quest too. I wrote the adventure. I made all this shit up. I can make up something to, to factor this in. But if you want to work in the Green Knight into someone's backstory, that's a powerful way to motivate someone to actually go on the quest and to to care. Fundamentally, your players need to care. And that's something that a lot of people just kind of forget. Like, I want to have this cool thing in my game. But you need to make your players care about it first.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If it's not fun, then something's wrong, fundamentally. So no matter no matter what you're doing, whether it's incorporating real world folk tales or medieval texts, or just a cool story that you thought up, whatever you're doing, you definitely need to ensure that everybody is having fun. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm about happy to wrap it up there. Mac, any last things?
1: I swear I had something, but it's, it's completely left my brain.
0: That is okay. If it comes back, just interrupt me. Eh? But anyway, Crispy, thank you so much for coming on. It has been such a pleasure to have you here and, and just learn from all of your expertise and DMing skills. Cause again, We've got the weird,
2: (laughs) massive scare quotes right there.
0: Holy hell! Well, we've we've got the weird medieval stuff. That's the most generous way anyone has described my skill set. I'm gonna say you probably
1: are are more of an expert in like the combat side of D anD D than I am.
0: Oh, definitely. I run narrative heavy campaigns. I am mechanics. (laughs) Those. <laughs> I, I don't know about
2: expert. I I I try my best, but I don't know much about about mechanical based. About I I just you know I just like I could
1: I much. could not identify the difference between like a monster that's fun to fight and a monster that's not fun to fight because I all, I just put them all in the same bucket of like yeah it's combat it's it's like, it's a set piece it'll take all day.
2: <laughs> no. Well, well, in that case, I suppose I'm like a—I am moderately adequate. That's how I would describe my uh, my proficiency in combat. But, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. This
0: was a yeah, lot of glad you could come on. And where can people find your stuff if they are interested? Oh, dude, uh, you can
2: find me on YouTube. I'm at Crispy's Tavern D&D Tips and Stories. You can just look up Crispy's Tavern. i will pop up. We are gonna be, at this time, Crown of Deceit, my new DD actual play show featuring Shelby from Whistle While You Work, Crit Crab, and Jesse Jurdak. That's coming out right now. At this point, there should be a few episodes, so you can see the adventures of the nobility of Darren's Glade as they try to prove their innocence in a murder that will shape the fate of the realm. Lots of fun there. You can also find me on Spotify, where occasionally I post stuff, sometimes, I don't know. And you can also find me on Twitter, where uh, you can see me not do anything, because usually I don't do anything on Twitter. I hate that website. <laughs> it uh, is but- a yeah.
1: Also, according to Google, Crispy's Tavern is located in Kenosha, Wisconsin, so that's where you need to go
2: yeah i looked at that place apparently it has been it has been replaced it has
1: been oh co- a closed so you
0: are the ago. only crispy's tavern so. that people can find yeah i am the only yeah actually i was the one who put them out of business, so <laughs> there I we go, go the competition, guys. <laughs> oh that's that what you're me. on probation me, for guys. that's what it was got it yeah got it
2: no 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 <laughs> i put them out of business like two years ago probation yeah. oh got it of that. course uh, but anyway yeah that was that's a good time you can find me there on all those places and oh and also If you want to be featured on my podcast, Tavern Adjacent, where we talk about all things CTRPGs, I listen to your horror stories. So if you want to call me, ask me about what's going on in your games, you can head over to SpeakPipe, linked on my channel, where you can just record a one minute, 30 second voicemail and tell me about your problems. And I'll give you some $5 therapy that is 100% free. So there you go. You're welcome.
0: Wonderful opportunities all around. We will put all of those details down in our show notes. So please do check that out crispy's work is phenomenal and with that we will see you all next time crispy thank you again so much for coming on it's been so fun to have you thank Thank you. you farewell all right see you everyone Thank you for listening to The Maniculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, check out our blog on themaniculumpodcast.com. And hey, come get involved in our community. We have a Discord group that you can join, and you can find links to our server on our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, our Twitter, at Maniculum, and our Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast original music by walker check out their project sugar glass on spotify
2: which was this like can i curse Yes. yes
0: go for it